Pride Month. During Pride, only one rainbow matters. That's why Skittles are giving up their rainbow to show support for the LGBTQIA community. All white Skittles. White. Pride. Absolutely nothing problematic there. This podcast is brought to you by Skittles. Hey Luke, um, just before we start, I have some notes from the last episode I wanted to run through with you. Wait, sorry, you do? Uh, yes. First, you need to stop like interrupting the guests so much. Okay, sorry. Uh, who are you again? Oh my god, gross. Luke, I'm Bumblebee. Okay, clearly you were not. Because one, you're Filipino, and Bumblebee just isn't. And second, actually, you're just a completely different person. Did did she really think I wouldn't notice a totally different person being here in the studio today? Wow. Is this because I'm a woman? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, she's given me. She? Sorry, I have a list I really need to run through with you. Before that, can you maybe let you know, yourself know, we're interviewing Tony Ayres this week. And I think that you'd probably actually want to rock up for this one. Right. Um, just a minute. Yeah, take your time. Take your time, babes. Okay, I'm here. That was just like a prank, you know. God, you're so embarrassing. Is Tony here yet? I just, I really, I just really quickly need to um, chat to him about no, something. No, he's, no, related. he's not. And you know, you don't get to chat to the guests. Prank or whatever, can we please just set up the recording? Um, can my friend stay? The other, the other girl. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Yeah. Fine, fine. Hopping along, singing a song, talking to folks about what's going on. From my pond to yours, the lily pad. Ribbit Ribbit and welcome to the lily pad, an unforgettable fortnightly dive into topics important to you. I'm your host, oh this old thing, Luke. And this week, we're joined by award-winning showrunner, screenwriter, and director, Tony Ayres. Thank you so much for hopping onto the pod. Hi, Luke. Do you see what I did there as a little play on words? Yes, I, <laughs> I was trying to think of another play on words, but I just wasn't clever enough. <laughs> you just got to brush up on your amphibian, you know, adjectives and such before the show. It always, always helps. But it's such an honor to have you. I'm a big fan. Um really inspired by the work you've done and 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 your career you know so i i really do appreciate your time starting with walking on water all the way to recently clickbait on netflix and fires on abc your own production company it's a it's a big question but what has the journey been like you know as a <laughs> A Chinese Australian in the film industry, as well as um, someone that identifies as openly gay as well. I, I feel like the doors aren't immediately swinging open <laughs> for us. <laughs> um, what, yeah, what has that journey been like? Long. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been around for a really long time. <laughs> Longevity will get you there. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, to be honest, I've had a bit of a, a bit of a blessed career in mm. so far as I've always had stuff to do, and it's pretty much self-generated. Like um, most of my career, people weren't coming to me and offering me things. Yeah, you know, it was like I had to make things happen myself and create the opportunities. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there were all these kind of little spaces that I could work, you know, like it was like you're, <laughs> you're ferreting out those little places that are going to be your places. Mm. And, um, you know, like in the early days, certainly uh, after I left film school, uh, SBS mm. was a place for me. And, you know, um, I met some amazing people there who I still work with in one way or other to this very day mm. or, or who are friends, um, you know, people like Debbie Lee, who's the head of development at Matchbox yes. or, you know, Amanda Duffy, uh, who commissions drama at Stan. You these know, are all they, names I need to start collecting. You need to Google. Yes. <laughs> I need to get these, na- these yeah. now. Well, no, no, actually it's your friends who are going to be the, the people who are running things in 20 years time. You mm. just need to hang on to your friends. You yeah. know, that's been my tactic. Absolutely. I think it's really important and, and something I've talked to a lot about my uh, sort of POC and queer friends is this idea that opportunities will come your way. Sometimes you do just need to be the person making the opportunities and being the loudest voice in a room sometimes as as well. I, I think they're really useful tips and sticking around as well. <laughs> I, guess. I, I think resilience is is absolutely crucial. I, I can't I went to film school with some amazingly talented people. And mm. I think the ones who've managed to have ongoing careers have been able to weather the storms and to mm. deal with rejection and to you know like respect craft to grow and learn you know all of those things that that you need to develop as an artist i think they're they're really important things to remember and to learn as you go along they've tried to knock me down so many times and i just (laughs) you've got to be like one of those pop-up clowns (laughs) absolutely and as a gay you just got to keep bouncing back up I'm no stranger to rejection, you know. I've got it. I've got that. <laughs> well, I'm a gay Chinese man, so I'm a no stranger to rejection as yeah, well. Ex- exactly. You just we need to go into a bar, and you, you know, like <laughs> we got that covered. Yeah, exactly. Three quarters of the room is not yours. <laughs> yes. I actually wanted to chat to you about something I heard you um, say in an interview once because it really resonated with me and it was you talking about your mother and about how she hadn't sort of encouraged you to learn Chinese because here in Australia, you know, assimilation was like a really big part of it. And I grew up half Filipino and my mother was exactly the same. She she was very much watch the football, learn these things. What I wanted to ask is, is did that end up impacting the work that you created later on in life? Did you feel like you had to unlearn some of that assimilation to reconnect with the Asian heritage? Listen, I think it's an ongoing process, really. Mm. I mean, the great irony is that I kind of grew up trying to deny that Asian Chinese side of my 
myself mm. because, you know, like, it, you know, particularly in, in the times that I grew up in, it just was not, it was fairly low status to be Chinese, you know, it yeah. was a, a bit embarrassing, it's awkward. Um, mm. uh, and so, you know, like I, I just kind of put it aside and um, I didn't think about it very much. And I certainly didn't have a, a Chinese identity as such. Yeah. Um, so, so, and yet, because when I first left film school, uh, I just started making stories about my mother and my sister and me, because, you know, it was like, write what you know. Yeah, make what so, you, yeah. you know. Like, yeah, yeah. So I know, and I had a very dramatic childhood. Like I had this kind of like, crazy lady mother and mm. uh, very glamorous very beautiful but super crazy and um i so i just write, started writing those stories and then even though i didn't particularly identify as being chinese everyone saw me as the chinese yeah. writer because mm. <laughs> i made i made these things with chinese people in them <laughs> and uh, and so you know that was that was kind of interesting because you know one of the first jobs i got after like after straight out, out of film school I, I made this half I wrote this half hour short as part of an anthology series called Under the Skin it mm. was about my mother and my sister and I taking a taxi ride to two hours south of Perth for my mother to meet one of her lovers for lunch and um and the, the short amazing. film the short film just did incredibly well it won the Australian Writers Guild Award that year for best miniseries, which was bizarre. And then <laughs> it was only half an hour. And then it won the AFI Award that year for best telemovie or miniseries. Again, half mm. an hour, but, you know, like it was incredible. And from there, I got seen as the Chinese writer. So I got invited onto this project, which was about the history of the Chinese in Australia. And, <laughs> and I was so... <laughs> a banana and I was like I didn't know anything I didn't speak you know I don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese mm. um, everything that I learned for that project was, was pretty much you know like it was like a crash course in yeah. Chinese culture in Australia and I learned all of this in you know history and uh, you know like but what it kind of shows you is that you know your lived experience is very quantifiable and defined by time and place you know, it doesn't give you uh, cultural ownership. And I yes. think any, anyone who is from, you know, like a, a, a different background kind of knows that. Yeah, it's very relatable. I remember my mother used to uh, drop me off at school and I grew up during the like Pauline Hanson heyday, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so she would drop me off about a block and a half away to where the other kids got dropped off and she'd make sure I had sausage rolls and, and meat pies. And it, it hasn't been until the last few years of exploring my creativity that I've started going, I want to, I want to know more about Filipino stories and Filipino cuisine and things like yeah. that. So, but it doesn't make me feel any less Filipino at the same time. It's, it's yeah. such a, it, it's, I think it's just kind of perplexing because, mm. you know, like culture is, such an amorphous and abstract thing and you know like your your relationship to it is just always particular you know like sometimes it's about food sometimes it's about place it's about often it's about family like you know when, when you kind of you know break it down to its 
core components. Culture has to be about real things, Mm. real relationships and real experiences. And, you know, I think sometimes we throw this abstract kind of umbrella over culture. Absolutely. It's similar like when people talk about gay culture and you're like, what does that even mean? Do you mean that the... Do you mean circuit and <laughs> like, or the bushwalking you, club? Or, yeah, or the badminton club. <laughs> it's such a, a, an amorphous term that uh, means such a different thing to every single person. It, it's yeah. it's yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, th- I think you know, given that all of these questions are kind of floating around in the ether at the moment, it's mm. I find that. I find myself kind of questioning things and trying to drill down on what things actually mean so that we don't get caught up in abstract notions. But, you know, you know, I'm kind of more interested in talking about the, the real thing and trying to come to, you know, come to grips with, with, with these questions in, in, yeah. in, my, in a more real way. Hello. Why, hello there, little girl. Is your father home? If this has ever happened to you, you probably sound gay. And doesn't that just get your internalized homophobia boiling? You could work on rejecting the standards of perceived masculinity, or why not just change yourself? With our five-week program here at Homo No More Lingo, we can help you and help the community perpetuate the standard that acting and sounding heterosexual is somehow better. Some say that diamonds are the hardest substance, but I say it's me. Oh, I'm fine. I love having a Chardonnay with the boys. Fucking beers with the boys. We can't guarantee that you still won't hate yourself, but hey, we're not therapy or anything. So, uh, hey, Tony, um, are you guys just taking a little break now? Or? Yes. Um, I might just quickly jump in the Zoom and check the recording quality, you know? Just want to make sure everything's perfect for you over there. Um, no, I, I don't think you really need to um, Anyway, do that. so I'm just going to hop in for a no, second. No, no, <laughs> You promised me I could give Tony my TV pitch. I've got my yeah. elevator pitch ready to go. You have like a million pictures though. Okay, so this one is the best. I mean, it is like about four girls that live in New York City and they're in like their 20s and, you know, mm. it's just so relatable. It's got something like, it's about like life. Um, actually, it's it's for women, okay? Like, I don't think we should call young people girls. And it's kind of like Sex in the City, but it's like more relatable and more like millennial, but it's like basically just as regressive. I would watch the shit out of that. It will make us a lot of like maybe you could play a bit role of like bumblebee that that just sounds like that sounds like girls no this would be like completely different like we'd have very different names and but you you (laughs) even called them girls when you were describing it you never support my endeavors luke this is just like the grapefruit porn like you don't get it okay and jared and annie uh, were just so right about you and your selfish trombone playing yeah. skills. Yes. Well, they can help you pitch this then. Um, but remember, I have an interview to finish. Yes, 
bumblebee. If I yeah, swear to God, bumblebee. if I see like a pitch coming up about four boys in New York City who are gay from this conversation, I am going to be so mad at you because that is just my pitch. You just yeah. It. And maybe maybe I'll call it boys. Representation has also yes. been a huge part of your work. A huge thank you for some of the voices you've highlighted and the people you've featured. Like I discovered Benjamin Law through the family law and then that led me to read Geisha and really like opened my eyes to a lot of my own identity I didn't even realize. So representation of like LGBTQIA plus characters as well as other ethnicities plays a big part in, in many of the projects you're involved with. How important is that to you with the, the beginning of a project? Is that something that's, you know, when you're starting to write or you're starting to adapt or, or you're, you're looking at things to produce? I, I guess it sort of comes back, you know, like I'll take a step back from it, which is that like when I do something, when I work on something, I, I always make a decision to work on it based on two things, which is heart and mind. Like, you know, is does it say something that I think is interesting or important or that I think needs to be said or I haven't heard said before or, or somehow can contribute to some cultural conversation? So yeah. that's, that's one thing. And the other thing is, do, does it make me feel something? You know, mm. whether it's, you know, horror or does it make me laugh? Does it... Uh, does it move me in some way? Does it affect me in some way? And so that, that's the kind of starting point for me in mm. you know, why I would do anything. And, you know, like, because I grew up feeling so much like an outsider to, you know, the mainstream world, mm. um, I just find that outsider stories, stories from the edges of society affect me more. Like that, you know, and so they kind of moved me more, you know, like, um, and because I grew up in a very poor environment, you know, s s stories in the same way, stories about, you know, people dealing with poverty also moved me, you know, mm. th those are the things that kind of affect me. So that's why I, I, I cleave towards those kinds of stories. Mm. And then, you know, and in stories that don't necessarily, you know, aren't necessarily within the exact world, like like a, a something like clickbait, which is a kind of about technology and online dating and, you know, and treachery, the treachery yes. of the internet. <laughs> Can I just quickly say the scariest part of clickbait for me was, I think it's like right at the start where they go through his browsing history on his laptop. <laughs> as soon as I have, I actually got a chill and I was like, I hope I never go missing because I, <laughs> I do not want... So yeah, you I could know. guess my password in two seconds and I don't want them going through that. But sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to. You know, in that, in that show, I kind of wanted to, I mean, often I just try to reflect the world that I know it, you know, and, and mm. as I know it. And, you know, for me, you know, like, you know, I know a lot of different kinds of people and, you know, I'm friends with a whole bunch of different kinds of people. And then I look out and, on the streets of the city and you see a certain kind of demographic. And I mean, I think it's much, much better now than in the last five years than it has Absolutely. been, you know, 35 years, of, 30 years of my career. But certainly, you know, when I was doing this work, it was, you know, in the earlier days, it, it did feel as though we, we weren't seeing that on the screen. We were, mm. you know, like every version of a person seemed to be white. 
And so I was kind of interested in making versions of of the world where, you, you know, it could be anyone, but it's, but they're still culturally specific. You know, I'm not, you know, like I'm not particularly into the colorblind, like, I, you know, because I think culture is so much a part of who a person is. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I like, I try to be fairly specific about mm. you know, the characters it's, I create. It's kind of like they go in hand in hand. If, if, if you're reflecting a world that's very colorful and interesting and trying to tell these outsider stories, it just naturally tends itself then to have representation of other cultures and other uh, gender expressions and et cetera. And I think you're right. Like the lovely thing I've noticed happening even like really recently is the interest in the mainstream in like foreign cinema. You, you know, I think Parasite might've flipped the switch on that for a lot of people. Those were the sort of stories like you, I would gravitate to when I was younger. I was like, I want to see stories that are about the, the lower class or, mm. or pe- I want to see Asian faces in, in stories as well, where they're not, they're not the 7-Eleven person for like one scene, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. and, and I think there's a shift towards those stories. Rolling. I think it's happening and I think it's happening at, at a, a really accelerated rate and I think that you'll see like I think even in a couple of years it'll that's our screens will be completely different and I will think you'll see you'll see you'll you'll start to see that more and more and I think that's that's a fantastic thing you know like it's a real it's really um exciting that we're in this cultural moment and I think that I'm all for it but the you know the other side of it is that um you know, you don't ever want representation to be a burden. And, you know, mm. like I, I sort of, I am very against the idea that all coloured people have to be good and all white people have to be bad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're going to make a whodunit because then you know who the bad guy is straight away. Yes. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm, I, you know, like I don't think, you know, uh, I, I think that, you know, what's interesting is, you know, and how we can contribute to drama as storytellers and, um, and to the equation of storytellers is to point out the human flaws and foibles in every person. Mm. You know, like no one, is, no one is perfect. We're all flawed. We're all kind of, you know, in some senses, you know, we're all, we're all contradictory and, you know, and, and also we're all more than one single identity. Like we're more than one thing. Some of which, some of those things give you power and and give you privileges you know and some of those things don't you know mm. so, and and sometimes the same thing can give you power and privileges and and in a different context it can give you not that uh you know perfect example for me like right now being a gay chinese guy in my industry is really mm. useful you know, like it's it's a good thing because <laughs> yeah. yeah. every you know because diverse storytelling is something that people want to do. So it's you know it's helpful. Yes. But I can tell you right now, I will still have the same issue. You know, being a gay Chinese guy and going into a dance party is <laughs> it's still not going to be a good thing. It never has been useful for me. It hasn't worked for me in terms of the mainstream of gay society Absolutely. and you know and being an older gay guy as well like you know like that's the triple threat 
opposite, <laughs> the opposite of the triple threat, <laughs> the triple death, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as, as you grow, you, you start to learn where those cards land. Yes. I, I, I'm still at that phase where I'm learning, oh, I hold some power in these scenarios yes. and I hold absolutely none in these ones. It's a little weird. I feel like I'm sipping someone else's drink when I have a bit of privilege. I'm like, oh, I got someone else's meal here. <laughs> you know, but um, I, I think all the the changes that are happening currently in, in representation and media are positive ones. Yeah. I'm still waiting to hear back from Marvel. I've pitched them a gay Filipino superhero multiple times. <laughs> but um, Well, I'll help you with that because I... I'm desperate to do a Marvel. <laughs> I know. I think between TV you and show. I, we could get a great. I, I could do a Marvel, Marvel TV show. I don't. I don't think they would let me ever do a movie, but I think. I think I. I could do a really good TV show. Well, they've just got um, who directed Nomadland to do Chloe. Chloe uh, Zhao. Zhao. Yeah, it's Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Uh, so you know, for the Eternals, and my friend Eternals. Kate Shortland did Black Widow. And did Black Widow. That's yes. right. That was the last picture I got to see in the cinema before they <laughs> locked me, you know, back up in here. Um, so the opportunities there. I would also like to say if you do like a, a horror picture, mm-hmm. please keep me in mind. My, I actually ask this of all my guests. My bucket list is to get murdered on screen in a horror oh, film. you're on okay you're on <laughs> it's it's my absolute dream to be in a slasher okay now i really don't want to look at your browser history yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i'm more than happy to chat to you about any projects you'd like to um hate to win use the word plug, but... um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess the two current ones are Clickbait on Netflix, which um, did very well in its, you know, had a moment, mm. and Fires on the ABC, which, you know, you can still catch up with on iView. That's uh, something I'm really proud of. It was It's about the mega fires of 2019, mm. and, uh, you know, it's an anthology series, and, you know, it was a very tough shoot, and uh, it's it is a project that I'm very proud of because I think that you know it it's very compassionate, it's very humane, it's a beautiful and it looks, show. looks at uh, you know some of the real issues and and the underlying it. You know, we try we try not to be too uh, agitprop with it, but underlying it is the insistent question of climate change, mm. which I think is pretty undeniable right now. I enjoyed that. that it's, clickbait's a little bit like that too. It has a little sort of like character swapping. I, I'm I'm digging that vibe. Just it's just a recurring theme, and you know, like from the slap to seven types of ambiguity, you know, that yeah. sort of um, revolving point of view format. I, you know, I think I learned it on the slap, but mm. I, you know, I I kind of really like it as a format. I really like the way. Because it's more like a tasting menu, and, um, <laughs> and if or a bento box, and I, I know, like, I'll always order the bento box, and I'll always order the tasting menu. So it's no surprise that I, you know, like, I go for these revolving point of view things. Perfect. Well, thank you for a bento box of an interview. I loved getting to <laughs> chat to you. And um, lovely to meet you. Lovely to talk. Thank you again, Tony. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, great interview, babes.
You know what? Thank you, Bumblebee. Hmm. And thanks for really supporting my endeavors as well. Oh. I really appreciate it. Bumblebee. Yes, I'll just keep doing your unpaid labor and editing all of your mistakes for exposure. You know, I guess when I get hungry enough, no wonder you think I'm ripping off girls. I'm fucking living season one, episode one in this unpaid internship. There's a lot of mistakes, you know, just so you know.